Hello and welcome to The Personal Investor. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, what can you do to put your finances on a firmer footing as we enter what's likely to be a tough few months? From household bills to investments and your mortgage, what are the questions you need to be asking right now? That's the focus today. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. We have entered the final quarter of 2022, and it looks like the squeeze on our finances is likely to get worse before it gets better. And those finances are being squeezed, it seems, from all directions. Prices for essentials like food and energy have been on the rise all year. Stock markets have been under pressure, and now we're all waking up to the pain of higher interest rates for borrowing, and on mortgages in particular. So, what questions should people be asking themselves as we head into winter? To help answer that, I'm pleased to say that I'm joined this week by my Fidelity colleague, Emma Lou Montgomery. Um, Emma Lou, welcome along. Um, before we get into uh, some of these specific areas of our finances, what's been your assessment of the year so far? It's certainly not been easy and it does look like it's going to be difficult for a while yet. Yeah, I don't think it's an overstatement to say it's been a hell of a year. And of course, it's not over yet. So we just seem to be hopping from one uncertain situation to another, yes. don't we? So we've had, you know, the, the end of the pandemic gave us hope. But then we've had the war in Ukraine. We've got soaring petrol and diesel prices. And let's not forget that panic at the pumps as well that came before that. Eye-wateringly high energy bills, more summer, travel chaos, rail and postal strikes. <laughs> I think, you know, you name it, 2022's had it so far. Plus, of course, there's the general hike in the cost of living. Um, you know, inflation is now just a smidge off what it's 40-year high, just under 10%. And then to cap it all, we've got this R word recession that's being bandied about. So we're currently in this kind of, are oh, we, aren't we, aren't we, you know, limbo situation, not sure what's going on there. And of course, we've got interest rates on the rise and a mortgage market, like you said, in chaos. And that doesn't bode well for the property market. It's exhausting. <laughs> and of course, we've also had the pound going up and down like a yo-yo as well. And that's making it really stressful to keep a grip on what that means for us as consumers, as investors, holiday makers even, homeowners, you know, everyone's affected here in one way or another. Yeah, and um, we're going to come to a few different areas in turn. And, and I guess the general theme of this conversation really is that it's a good opportunity um, to sort of reassess in various areas of our financial lives. And we're going to come on to those. Now, you've written about... Uh, you've written this week about some of the questions that people should be asking themselves as we head into this final stretch of 2022, into the winter. Uh, the first of those did concern energy bills. So what should people be focusing on? Yeah, this is going to be a big issue, I think, as we head into the colder winter months. I think here it's easy to get caught up, as with all these, in the sort of general panic of it and, and the feeling of uncertainty that's there. But I think the one thing to remember that if you're currently on a fixed rate energy tariff, the the price cap change that's just happened probably won't affect you at all. Odds are, if you're on a rate, you're probably on one that's even preferable to the energy price guarantee that was announced by the government. And and some of these still run for a couple of months to go yet. So if you're one of, on one of these tariffs, really probably nothing changes for you right now. And even if you're not on a fixed rate... You know, those eye-watering annual sums that are being quoted are just an average. You actually need to look at your usage. Yes. Um, you know, the government has announced this what two-year energy price guarantee. That limits a typical dual-fuel household energy bill annually to about £2,500. But that is not a cap on how much you'll actually pay. Your bill still depends on how much you use. 
Yeah, and and there was confusion about this, wasn't there? Because even the politicians were getting that bit wrong. They, as you say, it's it's a bit complicated, but it's the unit price of, of energy has been capped. Mm-hmm. And if you work it all out, the average consumption works out at £2,500 a year. But of course, there'll be lots of people that would be way above that anyway before the price cap. It all comes down to people's own energy usage. And I guess the, the call to action here would be to to check where you are with all that stuff and, and to factor in maybe budgeting for a bit more when those fixed deals roll over if you're if you're on one. Yeah, absolutely. And also remember that everyone's going to get this £400. So that's going to be applied over the next six months. So you'll get £66 due back to you in October and November and then £67 between December and March 2023. So that's going to help, you know, at least slightly. And also worth making a note here that the households that receive the winter fuel pay- payment, which is generally between £200 and £300 and paid to nearly all homes with at least one person of pension age, they're going to receive an extra £300 in November or December. And so that should cover nearly all pensioners across the UK. So that's a couple of little things there that might help to slightly ease the ease the cost yeah indeed well energy bills is one area that's been um that's been in focus but uh, another area uh, particularly just recently that's become more in focus is around cash savings um because the picture there is changing this is all connection it all connected with interest rates and the, and the picture of inflation it's something that i've written on in the past week but from your your point of view emma Lou, uh, what's the big question when it comes to cash savings I think the big question, as always, is how much cash should you be holding? Now, yeah. there's, there's two ways to look at cash. First of all, you've got to ex- accept that the role of cash I- is shifting because we are going away from that era of low interest rates and we're moving into this one where, you know, money in the bank now can actually earn you interest, which you hasn't been able to do for years. So that's a positive. So if you're holding cash, you know, you, now you can earn money on in, in, in the bank. That's a good thing. But it also comes at a time, of course, when inflation is at this yeah. absolute high and so that is going to very very quickly erode the value of that cash the other way of course to look at cash is to say that it's well apart from being good for essentials and, and important to have something you know to hand for those unexpected bills and just to pay for day-to-day life there's also an you know a good argument for saying that cash is good to have now to have sort of in you know to hand if you want to take advantage of um falling markets if you want to maybe top up investments yeah, indeed. I mean, we're talking about cash, but actually, I guess the flip side of that conversation is around investments. Um, so, yeah, as you say, we've got higher interest rates now available on cash savings accounts, and that's going to be really attractive to people. You know, I think if you're you're willing to tie your money up for about a year or so, you're going to be able to get four percent now on cash savings. And we haven't seen those kind of rates for a long, long time. No. But as I have written in the past week, there's context to that. As you say, inflation is something like ten percent. So the difference between 4% and 10% is big. Mm -hmm. Now, a year ago, cash savings were very, very low, but inflation was lower as well. And so the difference back then between cash savings and inflation was a lot less. So actually, you do stand to lose in terms of inflation er eroding your cash savings much more, even though cash savings accounts are are paying a lot more these days. Um, I think with cash, as you say, it's a question of, of how much do you need and having a sort of purpose in mind for cash savings that you hold. You do need money for sort of, you know, the immediate fluctuations in your cost of living. That's clearly something people, something that people are going to have to get used to in the in the months ahead. What really are your outgoings as prices rise? I mean, from personal experience, I'm seeing that chat. I'm getting used to higher energy costs, higher fuel costs, higher food, food costs. You need to have some flex there. And then after that, maybe cash savings, which are for sort of the real rainy day emergencies, you know, the big 
bills that might come along, the 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 buffer of of cash that can give you peace of mind, really. But then after that, actually, even though it might be uncomfortable, in, investing money might be a good idea, as you say. Mm-hmm. You know, depressed uh, markets are depressed at the moment. As difficult as it can be, it makes sense to invest through those periods if if you are in it for the long haul and you can give markets time to to level out right yeah absolutely because i mean right now probably doesn't feel like a good time to be making your investments you know the outlook is very uncertain but you know you can bet your bottom dollar if you can put it that way right now that you're going to look back at this with hindsight and spot opportunities where you could have actually invested and it would have been a good time to have done so you know history has shown time and again of course as we know that periods of volatility and falling markets are really prime times to often to invest. Indeed, indeed. Um, well, let's move on to uh, the next question that you had in mind for, for people this week. Um, and that concerns mortgages. And I think really that's perhaps the thing that is is beginning to really worry people the most. Yeah. We've had this uh, very tumultuous last couple of weeks uh, in terms of what the government's been saying and how that's moved markets. It's certainly going to be a big issue in the next year or so. What do people need to bear in mind, Emily, when it comes to their mortgage? Yeah, this is definitely a really thorny issue. And I think one that we're really in the midst of right now. So knowing exactly what is going to play out over the longer term is tricky for any of us to know. But what we do know for sure is that mortgages are getting more expensive and that means that borrowing is going to cost more, but it also probably means that borrowing is going to get tighter. Lenders will be less inclined to lend the sort of sums they have been doing maybe in the past 10 years or so. And of course, what does that mean for the property market? Well, you know, time will tell whether it does see prices fall. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting point around the property market because, I mean, how many times have we been here before where Mm. people have called the top of the property market, it's going to fall? It it rarely happens. It happened a bit around the... the, Well, it happened a lot, actually, around the financial crisis, 20% falls, broadly speaking, in in house prices. But during a a historically large financial crisis that was focused on lending from banks as well. Yes. um, You know, affordability has been stretched before, but prices haven't really fallen. But as you say, we've seen in the past week mortgage lenders pulling deals. That's mm-hmm. to reprice them. So you're beginning to hear these stories of, of house sales that are having to be put on hold or buyers being told that actually they can borrow less. Yes. That has to pull out demand from the housing market. You, you know, it's notoriously sticky, as they say, the house, house prices. You know, sellers don't like dropping prices, but some of the, that... We may well see that. That's going to really focus minds, isn't it? When people are buying houses, when people are stretching themselves to remortgage and to, to borrow more, they're going to have to think, well, what, you know, can I, you know, not only can I afford this now, but what happens if we get this, this spike in interest rates, which the market now expects? Mm-hmm. Can you afford another two, another three, another £400 on mortgages? And, and, and those figures are not sort of hyperbolic that is mm-hmm. what's going to happen if yeah. if if these interest rate rises come through right absolutely they are you know you look, could be looking at considerably many more times you know interest than you're currently paying but this is also another good reason i think why now especially if you're in something like a locked a fixed rate mortgage now yeah. really good time to sort of start thinking about maybe maybe paying off some of that mortgage capital you know most will let you pay off 10 percent without any kind of penalty so if you can chip away your mortgage um balance that is going to hopefully bring down your um equity to loan yeah. ratio when you do come to remortgage when those you know figures are sort of like two or three times or more than you're currently on at least you'll be in a better position because you'll be borrowing less yeah. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, if there's any deals out there that are preferential for people who've got lower 
loans to equity, then you'll be you'll be well placed to pick those up. Yeah, no, it's funny this. I mean, I, I've been speaking to a lot of, I mean, it's, it is the area of our financial lives, I think, where there is the widest interest when it mortgages, mm-hmm. house prices and all the rest of it. I'm sure you can relate to that. Um, and I've spoken to a lot of people who are on fixed deals. And sometimes, you know, they've, they've you know, that that's, that's, really working out for them now because they're being shielded from these price rises but it's probably sensible for them to begin to factor in those higher repayments for the future it might yeah. even if it's not happening in the next few months or even the next year there probably will come a time um when they're gonna have to remortgage they're gonna have to get a new deal and they're gonna have to get used to quite a lot more going out when it comes to their mortgage right absolutely and two year, you know if you're on a two-year fixed deal two years goes pretty quickly yeah. and will this all be sort of back to square one in two years time probably not you know i think now we are looking at an era where interest rates are going to be higher than they have been you know we have been in a historically low interest rate environment for well what for for over a decade isn't it now um for most people that is going to be quite a bitter pill to swallow because we're not used to paying you know six percent upwards on a mortgage yeah and i and i think it was something actually that it was happening anyway before the events of the past two weeks, but clearly that's moved markets and that's pushed up those expectations of where interest rates are going to be. We don't know. The, the truth is, you know, a lot can happen in the next six months. It certainly can. Um, but, yeah, it's it's clearly going to be, I think, the issue of, of the winter with all sorts of knock-on effects, buy-to-let, all the rest of it. Yep. It changes the equation. It really, really does. Um, so it's probably an issue we're going to return to. But for now, let's move on to the final area um, where there might actually be some better news from all this turmoil and that concerns people's retirement income and in particular annuities um, because they may end up paying a little bit more what's the story there yeah who knew annuities could actually be associated with good news but this could be our one bright spot here so yeah annuities i mean they feel really like something to me still like from yesteryear (laughs) they they seem to be you know they're from the year of when you had to buy an annuity when you retired that was your only option you know and they have for that reason been pretty much cast aside because in the um since the pension freedoms and you could yeah. you know pick and choose what you do with your pension pot people have found better things to do quite frankly than go and yeah. plonk their money in an annuity but of course now an annuity which which lets you buy a fixed income it could become the new go-to because you know who knows the, the fact is that when interest rates go up so too do annuity rates yeah. and now Annuity, you know, annuity rates, the top line rate isn't the only thing that affects it. There's all sorts of other factors like your health, your age and so on. But they are, you know, pretty much the best they've been for a while now. Yeah. And so it could be a really good time to think about locking in some security here, using some of your, your pension pot to actually buy yourself some kind of certainty. Really good if you're on a fixed income at a time like this, really. Well, yeah. And clearly that's only going to apply to people in that sort of age bracket and that stage yeah. of life where they're looking to um, nail down their retirement income. But as you say, int- uh, the rates on annuities have been climbing. It's all directly linked to what's going on in the gilt market and that fixed income return that providers can can get. The thing that jumps out at me when talking about annuities right now and these these increasing rates, it makes them more attractive. But what it reminds me is that you want to stay flexible, I think, with your with your retirement income if you can. Now, as you say, might be a good time to annuitize if you were in that position. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not. I mean, the truth is everyone's circumstances are going to be very, very personal to them. But you also want maybe to keep that flexibility, right? You yeah. might see, you know, because alternative in- ways of getting an income uh, mean that you don't have to hand over all your, your pension pot. Drawdown uh, means you can stay 
invested, you can ride out these investment, uh, all these periods when markets look uncertain. And so maybe the, the, the sensible thing here is wherever you are on that journey, whether you're still saving, whether you're approaching retirement or kind of at that retirement decision, um, maybe consider getting advice, really understand the implications of uh, how you take an income because it's it's a moving picture, right? Yeah, and also realise that annuities aren't uh, sort of like one option on their own. You could buy you know put some money use some of your money to buy a bit of annuity and then when they go up again rates mm. might go up again annuity rates then might be more favorable still you could buy another annuity to top it up it doesn't have to you don't have to put all your pension money into an annuity you could drip feed a bit in now you know buy another annuity in a little while's time something like that pick and mix indeed indeed well emily that is all the time we have for now thanks so much for coming to explain all of that thank you thank you Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.